Hello there. You are tuned in to Almost 30 Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. If you're new, thanks for being here. Make sure you're subscribed to the pod so you get new episodes once or twice a week. And if you're an OG, we appreciate your listenership. We know there's a lot out there and thanks for growing with us. Yeah, thank you so much. You don't need to be almost 30 to listen. You can be whoever you are, wherever you are. It was just the way that we started the show six years ago. And we've grown into a community, a brand, all of the things. And we talk about health, wellness, spirituality. Mm-hmm. Today is one of those health-focused ones that we love so much. Chock Such full, a good one. Chock full of science, chock full of the moments where you're like, I'll never forget that. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> he is a wealth. It's crazy. I'm just so fascinated by people whose brains are so turned on, who are like, yeah. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm thankful. I'm really, really thankful. Dr. Cabral is here with us today. He's the founder of Equilife. He's an incredible line of supplements and health tests. And he has his own practice that has just helped thousands and thousands of people to feel their very, very best because he gives incredibly personal care, taking into account the physical, mental, emotional, the lifestyle the environment that they live in, trauma, and so much more. It's my my goal to find a doctor in New York yeah. or something like that, to be yeah. honest. He's yeah. close, Boston. Yeah, true. Be close. True. He was on the podcast probably four years ago at this mm-hmm. point. Who knows what we even talked about? Probably the keto diet the whole time or something. <laughs> so tell me about the keto diet. Yeah, literally. And I'm, I'm plant-based. I'm trying it. <laughs> I'm eating a full avocado and nut butter in a shake <laughs> for like breakfast. <laughs> I'm bombing myself with all the fat in the world. Um, I wanted to talk to Dr. Cabral about something that I saw on YouTube. And I know this is something all doctors probably have in their nightmares. People (laughs) saying, I saw this on TikTok or I saw this on YouTube. But I saw this YouTube basically where this person, he's a fitness trainer, was talking about walking and the difference between Mm. his body when he did training and lifting and when he lifted and did walking only. So by removing the hit, he noticed such a difference in his body composition and his shape, and he felt so much better. And he explained it that, you know, when we go on the treadmills, how they have the different zones. Yes. And Orange Theory is keeping it in the orange zone. So it's like the different types of zones. But there's actually the fat burning zone, which is the lower zone. So you can get too high of a zone where you're actually just burning sugar and carbohydrates. And then your body needs to refuel the sugar and carbohydrates so you can get really hungry after. Mm-hmm. So he recommended staying in the lower zone, the fat burning zone, which is walking and just walking instead of actually going up to the higher zones where you essentially burn more calories, but you're more likely to overfeed yourself after. And you're not actually burning fat, but you're burning carbs and sugar. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was doing intense high cardio and hit training more regularly, it's almost as if like my mind and body just kind of separated within the intensity of that. So I would eat well beyond what I needed to fuel my body. But I was convinced that that's what I needed because I was so hungry. And I'm like, wait, this feels weird. And this feels off. It didn't feel like harmonious, you know? So I'm switching to low impact Heavyweights, you know, I'm not like freaking bench pressing 300, but I think slowing down and doing more mindful movement has been such a game changer. It's changed my appetite too. 
I'm no longer just mindlessly like just going crazy. Eating goat milk yogurt at 6 a.m. Totally. (laughs) That was Lindsay's faith. That was good. It was really, really good. In the car on the way. But thinking about, yeah, dude, the smell in my car would be, wow. Thinking about, yeah, like how we fuel our bodies at what time of day. Yes. I used to fast a lot more than I do now. And I don't think that fasting is bad. I think it's dependent on like where I'm at in my cycle and all that stuff. But no longer doing like cereal with banana and a nut milk in the morning. It's like the glucose spike. Yes. Leaving me incredibly hungry, just kind of going off the rails for the rest of the day. Whereas if I'm doing like a smoothie with a ton of protein and good fats and fiber and all that stuff, like I'm feeling good. I'm feeling balanced. I feel harmony in my bod. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just being like more mindful about those things. Yeah. I remember one time I was in a workout class. It was like a hit class and I was with a friend and I was noticing that I would look in the mirror in the class and I wouldn't be able to see myself because mm. I'd be blurry, like my energy field. So like when I see people, sometimes I'll see their energy fields. And if there's something going on in their field, they're hard to see or reach. Mm-hmm. So if they have a lot of like pain or trauma in their aura, if they're not in their body, it's hard to like see them. Yeah. And so I was looking in the mirror and I couldn't see myself. It's like I couldn't like make a full, I see my eyes. I'm like able to clearly see my body. And it was like I was leaving my body every time. Mm -hmm. So my energy was just all over the place. I wasn't in my body. I wasn't like feeling, feeling fully in. And I was feeling probably that cortisol level, you know, being super high. But that for me was something where I was like, huh, this needs to change. And when I moved from New York to LA, it was like, whoa, we need to change what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We are working out way too much. What is, what's going, what are you training for? Totally. I also think it's a checking of the box for a lot of people where yes. they don't have time. They have that one window in the morning or night yeah. and they're like, let me go balls to the wall. Yes. Say that I did it. Earn my weekend out. Yeah. Earn my whatever. And I think it's that disconnect that actually takes away from the benefits that exercise can have. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like a mindless thing. I was thinking about too, when I used to live in Chicago, I would only go outside if I was running. Mm. Like I wouldn't just go on a walk. I would totally. go run. Totally. Like it was like, we're running. Mm-hmm. I'd be miles. like, what am I doing out here? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just walking. Exactly. You know, like, like, what's the point of this? Yeah. Where am I going? I'm so mm-hmm. grateful. You know, I always look at the small increases in benefits or the increases in consciousness. People are walking. Mm-hmm. Walking is trending. It's popular. Mm-hmm. It's popular. Walking is huge and walking is so, so good for the body. So that was one of the parts of the conversation. In this, we really hit on like the hot topics in health and wellness right now that we wanted to cover. And it was such a powerful, I mean, every every point I was like, oh, that's a TikTok. That's mm-hmm. like a clip. That's everything. And then we went over our test. So we took a complete minerals and metal, metals test with Equilife which was incredibly informative. Yes. Taking that and understanding what was going on from a body perspective, from a mineral perspective and a metals perspective. Mm. And I was surprised that I have some metal in my body. It kind of is overwhelming because I I literally think a lot about water all the time. Yeah. And Sean laughs at me because I'm literally just on a fucking kick about like, filtering the water, but also then remineral, you know, just like, I'm like, this is important. I have fucking aluminum in my body. Yes. (laughs) Actually, I don't think we have aluminum. I have a little bit of mercury. Maybe the aluminum's really low, but copper. Copper. Um, 
and Mercury. Man, it's just, it's like a bummer. I'm like, okay, how do I not get bummed out and take action on this? But I know. Yeah, it was very, very informative. And he goes over what we might be experiencing if we have these higher levels or lower levels of these various minerals and metals. And what I loved too is just this proactive approach to, for example, if you have mineral levels that are like way too high and they need to be balanced out, there is another mineral that you can increase in order to balance out what's happening. And I really didn't know that at all. Mm-hmm. So it was incredibly helpful because I feel like a lot of us are like, oh yeah, we should take what you know so-and-so influencer is taking because they look amazing. We don't know what our bodies need. We might be getting too much calcium. Yes. We might, you know what I mean? So yes. we really, I think that's why these tests are so important. And I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to take a test. It's too much effort. Da, da, da. This is easy. We just sent in a little piece of our hair. Yeah. It was easy, easy, easy. So I highly recommend. Gives you so much information and so much to work with and could be kind of the missing link in feeling better. Yeah. So they say at Equilife, if they have a client or someone that they're working with that says they're stressed or tired or anxious or overwhelmed, this is what they first recommend to them. And that the reason for this is, is because if you're not balanced when it comes to your electrolyte or mineral levels, you're not going to be able to adequately deal with stress in your mm-hmm. life. So this is the test that really helps you to see how well your nervous system is handling stress, what stage of adrenal dysfunction you may be in, what your mineral reserves are like, and how you're dealing with higher levels of heavy toxic metals. So this is for people that potentially suffer from high stress, anxiety, overwhelm, mood disturbances, highs and lows in your energy, headaches, poor sleep. And for the heavy metal toxicity, the arsenic, cadmium, lead, and mercury are among the four of the most common heavy metals that cause health-related issues. So what's worse related to these heavy metals is that the exposure can happen in daily life even when it's coming from skin and cosmetic products that are approved to put on our bodies. Yes. So they test these exposure to high concentration of heavy metals and your electrolytes and the mineral imbalances because mineral imbalances can impact your overall good health. In Mm -hmm. fact, imbalances in minerals like iron, magnesium, potassium can not only cause fatigue, but could possibly be an indicator of a more serious medical issue later in life. Yeah. So it's really those early warning signs. So I think- Everyone in our audience can probably relate to those feelings. I think understanding your adrenal dysfunction, understanding your energy levels and your overall toxicity levels are really, really important, especially for women. 100%. So I think this is powerful. So I'm excited that we're working with Dr. Cabral. We have an offer for you to be able to do this test that Lindsay and I did. Again, it was just a hair sample. It was super quick. And when you purchase this test, you get a 30-minute consultation call. Yeah. So it's really great that you'll be able to speak to someone and really, really understand your test. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons why I love Dr. Cabral is because they're super thoughtful about their education for folks and making people understand what these results mean so that they can make choices in their life. Yeah. For the coaching call, you'll get a supplement plan, dietary guidance, sleep guidelines, stress reduction techniques, detox regimens, lifestyle changes. So it's really really thorough. Um, And as Krista mentioned, we have a special offer for you guys. So originally it's $199 for the test. You'll get it for $99. Completely worth it, y'all. Do it right now. StephenCabral.com slash almost 30. So S-T-E-P-H-E-N-C-A-B-R-A-L.com slash almost 30. $99. Get your test 
figure out your levels. Let us know what you found. Mm-hmm. I was very surprised. <laughs> I was a little disappointed. I thought I would be better than I was, but now we're here. Yes. I can understand the heavy metals and I can support myself in feeling mm-hmm. way better. And I think you'll hear in this episode how thorough it is and all of the information about it. So yeah, that should give you a good insight of what you'll get. For the hair, just FYI. So I got a haircut. I was like, yay, I can just like get it for the mm-hmm. hair test. So a haircut is taking the ends of your hair, which is actually probably for me a year old. So make sure you go to the back of your head a little lower so you'll never see it, but you want to get as close to the root as possible, which I know sounds scary, but it's really not a lot of hair at all, which will give you the most accurate read. As long as I'm not doing blood, dude. I'm sick of blood <laughs> shit. I'm sick of it. And they're like, <laughs> all the testing, they're like, give us your blood. I'm like, stop. Yeah. It's a it's a murder over here anytime it you is. have to use. Well, I had my cat scratches the other day and I was like, what test can I take? Yeah. Because I was bleeding. I was like, what so sample can I give? Because I'm bleeding already. <laughs> so thank you, Dr. Cabral. Very excited about this partnership. Very excited to mm-hmm. offer you this test. This one is chock full. You're going to want to share it with your friends. It has so much information in it. And we are so grateful to be able to bring it through to you, period. (laughs) Um, Thank you all for listening. Enjoy this one. If you loved it, share it with a friend, get your notebooks out. I had so many moments where I was like, Mm -hmm. yes. Okay. 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 Once I know that I will never forget it. So enjoy. If you want more from Almost 30, head to almost30.com. We have courses and programs, evergreen offerings like the sacredness of being single, the life edit, the law of one, our podcast pro programs. If you're a podcaster, soon to be podcaster, we're supporting you. You can access these at any time. We're just happy to serve you in this way. I'm excited. You can follow me on Instagram. It's Krista. It's I-T-S-K-R-I-S-T-A. You can follow Lindsay on Instagram. It's at Lindsay Simsick. And you can follow Dr. Cabral on Instagram at Stephen Cabral. It's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-C-A-B-R-A-L. Amazing. See you on the other side. Bye. Bye. Okay, I'm doing something different this holiday season. I'm actually pre-ordering gifts for people. And I have a lot of holiday parties I'm going to, whether it's Friendsgivings or various holiday parties around Christmas. And so in advance, I am sending my friends some Shrimu. Shrimu is artisanal plant-based cheeses. They are unbelievable. So full-bodied, creamy, cheesy, tangy. If you're a cheese lover, but you've been wanting to steer more plant-based, I could not recommend this brand enough. Their ingredients are of the best and highest quality and frequency. And the different flavors are so thoughtfully created. So one of my favorites is the Birdie, which is inspired by Camembert, infused with truffle. It's so gorgeous. It's woodsy. It's aromatic. It's honestly a sensory masterpiece. And get this, the other day I was making dinner and I melted it into pasta, okay? And it was like this truffle fettuccine alfredo. It was so freaking good. They have incredible recipes on Shrimu. And for holiday orders, it's really exciting. They are giving everybody their exclusive how to build a beautiful cheese board guide, which could be so fun, a fun activity at any holiday party. So I'm excited. Again, my favorite is the Birdie. I also, very close second favorite is the Gold Alchemy, which is like a smoked Gouda. But y'all, Julie Pyatt, who is the founder of Shrimu, you know her as Shrimati and her team have created something that is one of one and truly an experience to receive. So 
You can order by November 13th for Thanksgiving. So it'll ship out the 15th. It'll arrive by Thanksgiving. And then for the holiday time in December, order by December 11th, which will ship the 13th to arrive before Christmas. They ship the week before these holidays to avoid shipping delays due to the volume being shipped at this time. So they're very good about planning this out to make sure that you get your cheese. And what's great about this cheese, I actually have it frozen in my freezer as well. So I had it out. I had a little cheese board and then I had so much left over. I was like, let me just put it in the freezer, take it out, let it defrost a little bit. And it's like perfect, fresh, delicious. Okay. What's also great, you can also now order gift boxes and ship to multiple addresses during checkout. This takes the hassle out of gift buying. So I'm buying for all of my friends before these parties. So you have a discount, 20% off all single orders and 20% off all four orders, the first four orders when you sign up for a subscription with the code almost 30 at shrimu.com. Shrimu.com, S-R-I-M-U.com. Use the code almost 30 for 20% off all single orders and 20% off the first four orders when you sign up for a subscription. This is the perfect gift. I'm so excited for you. Let me know what your favorite flavor is. I watched this um, YouTube, which is like every doctor's nightmare. And in the YouTube, this guy was talking about fat burning and walking. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about the results he had from walking versus when he used to do hit and he lifts as well. So he was doing lifting and then he was doing hit for a while. And then he was only walking and lifting at the same time. So he was saying that because you stay in the fat burning zone with walking longer, rather than going to the point where you're burning sugar and carbs, he actually noticed a better difference in his body composition than when he was doing hit all the time. Have you heard that? Yeah, absolutely. And what I always look at is who's the best in the field at what they do, right? So bodybuilders, you may not want to look like a bodybuilder or a fitness competitor, but they've dialed in their nutrition and their exercise. And traditionally for the last hundred years, they would do low steady state cardio or walking for 30 to 60 minutes every single day, especially as they were cutting down. And then their training would be very intense, not necessarily high-intensity interval training, but certainly very intense sets that lasted for anywhere from 30 to 90 seconds that got their heart rate up and then it would come back down. So since we know the predicator for fat loss is nutrition, so we have to have our nutrition on point. And then what we want to do is at a low steady state, we can absolutely do walking. So for people that just don't enjoy doing long cardio or doing sprint interval training, which by the way is still great. So I'm not saying that it's not. They can do three days a week of weight training and two, three days a week of some lower intensity cardio or walking every day for 30 to 60 minutes. That, that's the minimum though threshold I would look at. If you're really doing it for fat burning, you want to be walking for a good solid hour at a time in order to be able to get that. Now there's one other part to this and, and I didn't really realize this until let's say about like nine, 10 years ago, I was working with a couple diabetics and we found and we tracked, they were very um, religious about how they tracked all of their data. And so this was, I would say at the advent maybe of uh, continuous glucose monitors. And so we looked at what happened when they did a boot camp at night. What happened when they did weight training at night? What happened when they did cardio at night? What did it look like the next morning? Because we're always interested in that fasting glucose level the next morning after eight, 10, 12 hours of sleep. And the only thing that lowered glucose levels was low level cardio. Not sprint interval wow. training, not boot camps, nothing. And part of it is that the closer you move away from aerobic-based metabolism, which is kind of what we're talking about right now, staying in that fat-burning zone. Now, again, 
I know all the exercise people. And again, my background is in strength and conditioning and personal training all that way back in the day. And so, yes, you never have to do cardio in order to get in great shape. However, it is very helpful. And the more you get away from cardio, meaning like the much more anaerobic it becomes, the more intense it becomes, the less fat you are burning. But it actually means that the more sympathetic nervous system dominant you become. So it means that you're actually pushing your cortisol levels. And if your cortisol levels increase, by proxy, your body will produce more glucose. So it will break down liver glycogen automatically. I mean, because your body is looking for a fuel source. And in order to fuel itself, it has to get it somewhere and it will do it from glucose at a high intensity level. And that's why in those instances, you can crave sugar more. So your cravings would probably increase because your body's looking for glucose to refuel the stores. People have two different reactions. So one, they do a really hard workout and it eliminates their appetite. Mm. And the reason is they're in fight or flight. So when you're in fight or flight, very high level stress, now it's not a good sign that this happened. If you're in that state, your body knows, well, we can't digest any food right now. We're not, not, uh, not going to make enough stomach acid. The blood's not near the stomach. So it's not a good idea to eat right now. But then the other people, well, they know, okay, cortisol levels increased. There was some liver glycogen breakdown, maybe even some muscle glycogen if you've been depleting carbs. So if you're low carbs and you're doing high intensity interval training, you're going to start to lose muscle like without a doubt. Mm. And that's because your muscle stores are going to have what's left of glycogen. So you store between 90 and 120 grams of, let's just call it sugar in your liver, but hundreds of grams in your muscle stores. So when the liver is done, it's going to get it from somewhere because again, cortisol is a glucocorticoid and it has to break down glucose in order to be able to fuel the fight or flight. Wow. So I guess what are the benefits of high intensity besides for heart rate? Is that the only benefit? Because I'm confused of why we've all been doing it for so long if the benefits from what you say and from what I'm understanding seem to really be in the low impact steady state or the walking? Well, I would say that there's multiple ways to achieve the same goal. And I think a lot of people like high intensity interval training simply because they feel like they're working out. Yeah. They feel like they're pushing yeah. themselves hard. But you could do a true weight <laughs> totally. training routine plus low steady state cardio. There's a lot of negativity around that. And I was there myself. So when I was, you know, 21, 22 years old to maybe like 30 years old, sprint interval training and metabolic conditioning workouts, kind of like HIIT workouts, that's all you need. And that is true. That's all you need to be able to transform your body. But for longevity-based benefits and overall health benefits, not always in an anaerobic zone, but actually an aerobic-based zone is healthy for the body. So you get anaerobic and you get aerobic, which extends these things called telomeres as well on your cells or your DNA, which is one of the eight things that have been shown to contribute to overall aging. Mm. And it's all a greater oxidative stress as well. So again, I just am more preaching a balance with most things in general between some high intensity interval training or weight-based training and some lower level, whether it's walking or cardio, it could be biking, it could be some rowing, things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think you can do both. And what do you recommend as far as nutrition around a healthy amount of fitness during the week? So especially related to carbs. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering, is it best to have your carbs in the morning, midday, evening? Because I feel like I've heard it all and I'm kind of confused at times. I go mm -hmm. mostly intuitively how I eat during the day, but I haven't been able to like really nail down what works specifically for me, but what would you recommend if yes. someone's active? So for me, you can say high carb, moderate carb, low carb, and you could be right. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. And you could say high intensity interval training or what I call is a GEP. Since my background's in functional medicine and natural integrative health, 
we can't prescribe the same thing for each individual. If someone is completely burnt out, like hypothyroidism, low adrenal output from HPA access dysfunction, we can't recommend high-intensity interval training. We're starting with walking, and then we're moving up to graduating to some low-level cardio. Why? It's the least amount of stress in the nervous system. And then after that, okay, we can do some bodyweight weight training. And then after that, sure, we'll do some weight training and then some sprint interval training, metabolic conditioning, high-intensity interval training. So what I recommend is, okay, what do you need for your body type? If you're already a thin body type, that means you're probably more nervous system dominant, more fight or flight, higher metabolic rate, do you really need to do the high-intensity interval training? Most likely not. You're going to do some weight training to keep bone density there, some lower-level cardio, some walking, and that's what balances your body. And then someone that they look at carbs and they start to gain weight, okay, well, we're going to do lower carbs, not completely low, not gone, right? Not below 25, 50 grams of carbs per day. That's just going to be too much stress. We can get into that if you want. But then their exercise is going to be more intense. They have a more robust body naturally, and that's why we have to respect our body types, and their body can handle more. So unless their labs tell us differently, that's how we look at our different programs. Okay. I was just going to ask the question on a thinner body type and the nervous system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's a very interesting concept to think about someone's natural body type and how would their nervous system naturally genetically be different than someone that doesn't have a thin body type? Yeah, it's where we start to get in the weeds a bit, but some Let's of my in internships <laughs> were in Ayurvedic medicine. Yes, yeah, so I was thinking And about my background was sick between the ages of 17 and 27. So it was a long time of also soul searching and study. And nothing really worked. And I did all of conventional medicine, best doctors in Boston. I did a lot of natural health-based practitioners. This was like the late 90s, early 2000s, and still didn't get the results I was looking for. So I'm like, I don't know. Does anything work? Maybe it doesn't work for me. You know, maybe I'm that person. It works for everybody else, but not for me. There's a lot of people who believe that. Well, finally, I did get something to work for me. And it's because I started to understand all of these things are true. And so when people are preaching online this one specific way of doing things, there is a reason why. They're getting results, but it's only going to work for maybe a third of the population. Two-thirds at best, a third never. And so when I started looking into Ayurvedic medicine, which is what my mentor asked me to look into, was the Vata body type. It's the thinner body type. We've got the Pitta that's more of in between. It's moderate build. And then we've got the Kapha body type, which is a propensity to weight gain. But again, they all have positives then, right? So then 50 years ago, the somatotypes came along. And the somatotypes is a conventional medicine psychological-based profile where the Kapha body type, more robust body type, and again, that's no disrespect at all. We just know some people are larger than others and some people are thinner than others and some people are more muscular and athletic than others. Like That's just how their body is naturally built. Now, we can all change our body structures, but only to a degree. So it's variances based on a bioindividuality. And so that Kapha body type is typically in what they found more of the parasympathetic nervous system, more of the rest, relax, digest. Um, in the US, it's hard to, to pin down that specific mindset, but overall, it'd be more of a chill, calm individual. The Pitta mindset's more of the leader, more inflammatory-based, good Fire, and bad, right? fiery, mm-hmm. exactly. And then the Vata is more towards the anxiety side, more towards the fight-or-flight-based side more difficulty sleeping, or the kapha, they can sometimes fall asleep right away. But again, this is just a psychological profile. Ayurveda goes very, very in-depth, but it's one way of looking at it. And again, at the end of the day, we're running labs to back these things up too. So we're kind of looking at the individual, uh, which in Ayurveda or the genotype is called the prakriti. The vakriti is actually where they're at right now in their life, understanding that how you were born and your genetics, they don't change, but the presentation does today. That's called the phenotype. So you can take two identical twins, 
They can live two totally different lifestyles. One is dialed in nutrition, dialed in exercise. They're in great shape for their body. And the other one, maybe they're 100, 150 pounds overweight and they have some type of diagnosed disease. Okay, well, they're identical twins. They're literally identical DNA. Why, why the change? And the change is in the lifestyle. That's mm. the Vakriti. That's the phenotype. So everyone, you have your genotype. It's not going to change. Mm-hmm. Those SNPs that you hear about sometimes, the single nucleotide polymorphisms, that's what allows for the expression of disease weight gain, weight loss, because you can be underweight as well. We work with a lot of people underweight. And so these are all things that I think need to be explored more in our industry. And that's so that people are a little bit gentler on themselves, not comparing themselves to like, oh, I should be like that person. Well, probably not unless you have the same genetics and the same predispositions. You live the same lifestyle. Yes. So the expression of the nervous system could be a genotype, part of their build. That's right. And then it also could be the xeno is it xenotype or is it because I'm just trying to think what comes first the oh. nervous system being that way when they're born or their life kind of creating that nervous system experience yeah I, I think it's all it's both so there's the nature and the nurture yeah. right I think that's part of it like what if you had a deep level of trauma when you were younger what if you have a high stress job you're working 14 hours a day okay well that means that your expression is going to be more towards that vata so you might be someone that is naturally a kapha body type, but you're underweight for your body type. Or you have anxiety, difficulty sleeping, and that wouldn't be normal for who you are. And so we always want to bring our body back to balance. Nobody else is balanced except our own. Now, the nice thing is, typically, we're not just one thing. So we are a blend. So we might be have a, a vata, predominantly dominant type, let's say 65%, that we might be you know, 30% one thing and 5% the other. So there's like the subtypes of that. And there's only 10 maximum. So we're not looking at a, a wild variety in general. And a lot of people, they say, well, this is, you know, a little bit too out there. But the truth is all of these things have actually been studied. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's actually scientific research on every single one of these things. that we know that high sympathetic nervous system is one of the biggest predicators to disease, especially Alzheimer's. Mm. Wow. Oh, say more. So when you look at Alzheimer's now, here's the amazing thing. But there's 25 markers that we look at for Alzheimer's now. And in really good conventional medicine-based studies, they've shown that 90% or more of all cases of Alzheimer's can be reversed. So this information is not out in the general public. So when they did this research, they found that they had one particular case that couldn't be reversed. and It was terminal-based Alzheimer's case. All the rest could. And so they looked at, well, what's causing the different factors for Alzheimer's. And like most things, it's a, what I call filling up the rain barrel, right? It's not one thing. So it's high levels of cortisol, which can then lead to high levels of blood sugar. I think that's one of the most overlooked issues of health in our society and culture. Is that, well, stress leading to high blood sugar. Mm. So you can wake up in the morning with totally normal glucose. We measure this all the time, just with a simple saliva uh, sample. Mm -hmm. And what happens is your worry about the day getting the kids ready, or your cup of coffee spikes your cortisol levels. And when you spike cortisol levels, your body... So what happens is you have a hypothalamus pituitary gland in your brain. Those get signals. So it's from the peripheral nervous system, the autonomic nervous system. So it's just sensing feedback. That's it. But that's why these things can be controlled. So it's sensing stress. So what does it do? It ramps up norepinephrine, a neurotransmitter, right? And adrenaline. And then right after that, from the adrenal cortex gets cortisol. Cortisol is a glucocorticoid. So it's literally cortisol creating glucose for fuel. Because when you are in fight or flight, you can't be like, oh, I'm just going to tap into body fat stores. It doesn't work that way. When you're in a stressful state, 
you have to use glucose. That's mm-hmm. the way the body works. So you can be on a keto diet, not on a keto diet. It honestly does not matter. When your body is in a fight or flight based position, it has to rely on glucose. That's the uh, oxidation system that it uses. So it, you can use creatine phosphatase, you can use oxygen, you can use sugar. You're using parts of each one, but you are dominant in one. So what happens is any of those stressors can raise your blood sugar and without you eating any carbs. So that's why we have to be careful what we say is carbs are the enemy. I see people trying to like never eat a carb because they're so worried about spiking insulin levels. And I said, well, again, I think that's a reductionist conventional medicine approach mm-hmm. to overall health because carbs are the one food that also cuts cortisol. So should we eliminate them completely mm-hmm. or should we just be a little bit maybe smarter in the amount that we eat, the type that we eat and when we eat them? I think that's probably a better way to look at it. How do carbs cut cortisol? And what type of carbs would, would do that? So. Carbohydrates produce in the body typically dopamine, serotonin, and they give the body what it's looking for when it's in a state of stress, which is sugar. And so again, you can say, well, my goal is to become fat adapted. I totally understand. And we were just talking about that with the walking and with just, but when we look at the overall scheme, if if people are not as familiar with the fat burning zone, you actually burn the most fat when you're sleeping. And so you might say, well, that doesn't make sense. And I would say, yeah, to, to a degree, I agree. And that's because it's the greatest percentage of fat, but it's not the greatest amount of fat. So you're burning more fat when you're doing metabolic conditioning workouts because you're burning more total calories. So even if it's less of a percentage from that, you're still burning more body fat. So because you're burning more total calories, and if you're at a specific de- deficit, you will lose weight. So when we look at carbohydrates, though, we're looking at what are the energy needs of the body? And the energy needs of the body, especially when in a stress-based state, are carbohydrates. You gave the body what it was looking for, it can relax. Okay. Okay. And what types of carbs are you recommending to people? So one of the best studies that I just saw recently based around the Mediterranean diet. Mm -hmm. So I, I try to stay completely unbiased. I always say I have no dog in the race. I don't care what diet is best. I really don't. I don't care what form of medicine is best. We use every form of medicine in our practice. If it's conventional medicine based, If we have to, last resort, we'll refer out for that. That's not what we do. So what I will say is this. They looked at two different diets. It was the Mediterranean eating plan, they called it. It's actually MEPA for Americans because they have to develop a special one for Americans (laughs) because Americans' diet is so terrible. Um, (laughs) So they made it about 42% carbs as the the macro, uh, is about 20% protein and about 30-something percent fat. And they looked at it. And these people were lowering their blood sugar levels. They were lowering their disease, lowering their inflammatory markers. And they looked at, well, what's the standard American diet? It's about 46% carbohydrates. But it's the same one that causes type 2 diabetes for the predominance of it. Mm. So how can that be the case? Totally different food choices. So wow. totally different. It's processed foods versus, well, what's a Mediterranean diet? And again, do I think the Mediterranean diet could be improved to a certain degree? Sure. I don't, I don't think that you necessarily need bread and pasta. But when people think of the Mediterranean diet, they always go right there. But it's actually berries, low glycemic fruits and vegetables. I just think of olive oil. <laughs> exactly. Well, olive oil is such a big part of it. Yeah. The predominance of the Mediterranean diet from fat is almost all olive oil. Some nuts and seeds, yes, but those are still monounsaturated fats. So they're still not pinning down exactly where the benefit of the Mediterranean diet comes from. Is it the high fiber, 30 plus grams a day? Is the high level of olive oil? Is it the lower levels of saturated fat? And I know, you know people don't like to say that saturated fats, it's perfectly fine for you. Uh, again, there's a lot of studies that show saturated fat does not affect blood levels for like 72% or 76% of the population. But people with the, what's called a specific ApoE genotype, it's called an allele and it's a four. If you have that in your genes, mm-hmm. you can't clear cholesterol as well. 
So for 26% of the population, we know that for them, a higher fat diet, so someone on a keto diet who has this specific allele, is actually quite dangerous. Mm. Now, that's for 26% of the population. Okay, 74. It is. That's what I'm saying. That's why I think we have to be careful with our all-for-one mentality online of recommending Mm -hmm. this is the absolute best thing ever. You should only eat red meat twice a day or three times a day. I think the Mediterranean, it's one of those things where we're like, why isn't this working? It's like, because they're probably spending more time outside, spending more time with their family, mm-hmm. eating around people they love, eating less, like the soil. Cooking their own better. meals, growing Cooking their own their food. Own meals. <laughs> yeah, it's probably so many other factors that are contributing to it than just the food. So I completely agree with that. And that's for longevity. I love talking about this point. And I really want to do more around this. There's four main reasons why we humans die. It's cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure and stroke. Those go together. Type 2 diabetes and the complications from that, which can also lead to Alzheimer's, which is called type 3 diabetes. And then there's cancer. Mm. But if you don't die from cardiovascular, blood pressure and stroke, and you don't get type 2 diabetes, and you don't get cancer, your likelihood from living like 75 to 78 years old goes up an extra decade. So those are 75% of all the reasons why people die, those four things. So if we can control those four, we absolutely can, by the way, just through literally like moving the body, the things that you just spoke about right there, mm-hmm. we're going to live minimum late 80s, early 90s. So that's a great thing to look at. But when you separate out the Mediterranean, like the blue zones, let's say, right? Separate out all the social aspect, the lower stress, that's, that's such a big one. Um, and you just look at the diet. Well, they've compared the diets and they found that MIPA diet versus the standard American diet or the regular diet, very close in terms of macros, totally different in terms of micros. So when you're looking at, okay, well, what are the percentages from here? What are the types of foods, the vitamins, the minerals? Very, very different. So, so those are micros, vitamins and minerals? Vitamins, minerals, omega-3s, the certain okay. compounds that make mm. up those foods. Okay. So you could eat 42% of carbs and it could come from just bread and pasta. Yeah. But the real secret behind a lot of these diets where people are living longer are the phytochemicals. It's the anthocyanins, those bright blues and wild blueberries. It's all the colors of the rainbow that people are getting that I think we're we have to be careful calling them plant toxins, right? Because in the research, Who's these saying are plant the things. Toxins? A lot of people. <laughs> really? What are they saying? Tell me yeah, more. I've actually so, never heard that. So, well, believe it or not, like all these colors are the reason why we fight cancer. It's the only anti-cancer diet that we know is brightly colored fruits and vegetables. Now, I'm not saying you only have to eat fruits and vegetables, but they should balance out your diet. And so there's a lot of people out there that are talking about oxalates, salicylates. They're talking about lectins. They're talking about plant toxins, phytic acid. And the problem is, is that there are a lot of people when they eat vegetables or they eat fruit, they get bloated. They've got digestive issues. They get inflamed. They have joint pain. And when they stop eating those foods and they do like meat only, a carnivore diet or something like that, they feel much better. And to them, I would say, yeah, you found what works for you. However, what you didn't find was the underlying root cause as to why fruits and vegetables are causing those issues in the first place. Because probably when you were eight years old, you didn't have the Hashimoto's, you didn't have the rheumatoid arthritis, you didn't have the high cholesterol, you didn't have whatever it was. So why now? And in the vast majority, if not all of those cases, they're going to find candida overgrowth. They'll find SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. They'll find H. pylori. They might find parasites. And certainly there's intestinal permeability and leaky gut. So my recommendation is when you find symptoms, don't try to palliate them right away, whether it's through nutrition or through mm. whatever means it may be. Like any biohacking-based technique, I'm not against them. What I'm saying is that gave you a clue that something is off with your body right now. Let's fix that before it actually becomes a true disease. 
So how would you test for something like a leaky gut or going into a physician to see if you have leaky gut? How does someone know? Because I feel like a lot of people have digestive issues. They do. Mostly feel, women. Yeah, I feel like everyone I that? talk to. Every woman I know is like, my, my belly. My belly. <laughs> I yeah. think it's people are not speaking their truth. Mm-hmm. They have solar plexus. Like their solar plexus chakra is a little off. Mm-hmm. It's like a nervous system thing. It's like a, an embodiment thing. It's a stress thing. I think that's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people always ask me, what's the one thing I can do to get better? And you know, there's not one thing, right? So there's no one thing. But if I could choose one, maybe two, a 1A and a 1B, it would be to help women and men. So about 75% of our practice, 80% of our practice is women, always has been. I think that women are much more prone to being able to talk about it than men. So I think men have a lot of those yeah. digestive issues, but they're just like, oh, it's totally normal. Yeah, but so probably true. not. Yes. And, um, and then there's the guts. But what you just said right there, stress can actually cause a slowdown in peristaltic uh, movement of the digestive system. So we basically, we have our mouth and around 12 to 16 inches of esophagus, then it goes into our stomach. Then our stomach, it's going to sit there for anywhere from 30 minutes to three, four hours to digest the food. Then it moves into the small intestine. That's like 20 feet. And we've got another five, six feet of colon. There's a lot going on inside that, that digestive tract. So what happens? Well, Everything moves without you asking it to move. Like you, you don't have to do that, right? And so what happens is when you're stressed, well, that peristaltic movement slows down. So that can then lead to your own bacterial overgrowth. Or you have something called your ileocecal valve. That's it's like four or five inches down from your right side of your rib cage. That's where the small intestine moves food into the colon. Now the colon is supposed to be its own separate place. That's your large intestine, same thing. And it's never supposed to go in reverse. It's a one-way street. And if it does, you can give yourself SIBO. So the bacteria from the colon it's called the lower esophageal sphincter. Actually, that's your stomach. That's for acid reflux. We can talk about that later. But your ileocecal valve actually allows colon bacteria to come up into your small intestine. And the only people that we found in our practice who typically relapse are those people who have not addressed the stress. So we can fix the gut issues because what happens, again, it's really only four things. H. pylori, more in the stomach. We've got parasites in the intestines. We've got SIBO, the bacterial overgrowth, and we've got yeast overgrowth. Okay, we can fix all those. Naturally, we can rebalance the gut. And that's a good thing because you learn so much during the process. And it's not overnight. It's a 12-week protocol. But again, it's not that bad. And the issue, though, while you're going through that, though, there has to be a process of dealing with what are the underlying anxieties and stresses in your life. Because if those are not addressed, if it's not your gut, it's going to lead to something else. Maybe it's thyroid, maybe it's cortisol, maybe it's estrogen dominance. One of the main things we see in our practice, eight out of 10 women have estrogen dominance. It's one of the reasons for infertility, but it's also one of the reasons for lower mood, for bloating during the last seven days or so of your cycle. I think that's a birth control thing. Uh, Certainly part of it, but what I would say is this, is that women who, because we work with a lot of women who are trying to get pregnant as well, takes them three or four months just to normalize their cycle, and that's with help. Um, And then still... The major reason why women become estrogen dominant is stress. Mm. And that's because when you see cortisol levels go up, you see progesterone levels start to decline. So actually, most women won't notice anything really off for the first 14 to 19 days of their cycle, which is more the follicular phase. We've got ovulation. Then we start the luteal phase, but the luteal phase doesn't peak out until around day 19, 20, 21. So we see it around then when progesterone should be high, but if it's not, while well, estrogen stays normal, but progesterone is lower. So they get the headaches, lower mood, night sweats, not menopause, but they start to feel all of these same symptoms. Mm. And so that's a, that's a real good giveaway that the hormones are imbalanced. But again, so what do you do? Do you just give progesterone? No. I mean, that, that's not my recommendation because you need to fix what was the underlying root cause. Most likely it was elevated stress and cortisol. 
Is there any correlation to hormones and the gut as well? I don't think I've ever asked that, but I just was thinking about like how much the gut microbiome obviously affects mental health, affects so much, but is it connected to hormones? <clears throat> well, if we look at serotonin, there's a famous statistic that says 90% of all the serotonin is made in your gut. Now, it has to move from your gut towards your brain and the rest of your body, but it is absolutely manufactured in your gut. The other thing, though, is your B vitamins like B12 are also manufactured and used in the gut. So when we look at overall stress, okay, well, we need enough vitamin C, we need enough vitamin D, uh, we need enough serotonin being produced, we need all of our B vitamins, not just a B12 or a folate. So never take a like silver bullet approach to anything. I don't think there's any one thing, because I tried it all. I mean, sure. again, like I would say, oh, ashwagandha is going to heal all of your stress. Great herb, but probably not. You know, it's like, okay, ashwagandha plus binaural beats, going for a walk, meditation, you know, choose whatever your favorite modality mm -hmm. is to unwind. Plus, make sure you have enough B vitamins to be able to make all these things work. And it's fairly interesting too, because when you look at it, the thyroid is a, is a pretty simple gland, but it's often one out of five women. Okay. So if you're walking down the street, you know, here in New York, you could say, okay, just walk by a hundred women. We've got what, 20 or so who have low thyroid, functionally low thyroid. And now the reasons are not super complex, but they're never tested for in conventional medicine. You're looking at selenium, you're looking at zinc, you look at something like vitamin B6. Like before women, because it mainly is women, unfortunately, that are put on antidepressants, which again, I agree, in some cases, these pharmaceuticals are necessary. But if you're low in B6, you can't convert tryptophan to 5-hydroxytryptophan without that B6. And I think that's really important. So you're not going to make tryptophan to 5-hydroxytryptophan to serotonin. And there's a jump and you need B6. You need selenium as well. But if you're low in it, which a lot of people are, well, then you're not making it in the first place. And so I think we have to look at, again, like the real levels of health in the body that why do people get sick in their 30s and 40s? Well, it's just gradual decline. That's all. Like it's a mm. gradual decline of stress and life building up. So because of the relationship between 5-HTP and serotonin, that's why people take it after taking drugs. <laughs> They do because their yes. levels will drop so low. Okay. So if you use something like um, ecstasy or yes. whatever the, the drug may yes. be that's going to spike your levels very high and you feel great while you're on it, well, you get that subsequent dip. Yep. Mm. And when you have that dip, well, then you feel depressed. Yep. And so they're using 5-HTP to just potentially make more of that serotonin. Now, the interesting thing is when you go on an SSRI, which is yeah. a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, it's not making more serotonin. It's just opening up the pathways so it's not necessarily recycled. It keeps more in what's called the synaptic cleft so that when you need it, it's there. But it doesn't make more. Um, so, but at the same time, I have to tell people, you can't just take 5-HTP if you're on an yeah. SSRI because it can be dangerous. You can actually wow. get serotonin poisoning. So Wow. Just on the, the point of, you know, whether it's being low in selenium or B6 or all of these different um, vitamins and minerals, should we be able to ideally get all of them from food or is that kind of impossible in the world in which we live, especially in the US? Yeah, it's a tough one. I used to believe that we could get it all from food. I really did. And I think that there was a time before the 1960s or so when there wasn't a level of soil degradation when we could. I, I do believe yeah. that. But when you look at food now, even organic, it does not have the same micronutrients, so that's the vitamins, minerals, et cetera, in the food that it did before the 60s. Um, one of them, even if it's organic, if we look at it, a lot of it's monocrop-based in the same soil every single time. 
the soil doesn't have the same level of bacteria, which is important because that's how the reuptake of those nutrients happens. And they don't use real manure anymore. A lot of times we don't like to think of our food grown in manure, but it's the healthiest way to actually get those minerals and bone dust, et cetera, in there. But the other part is that we don't use a three-field system anymore. So it's one crop after the other crop mm. after the other crop. The soil never regenerates. Mm. So the three field is like where it's like the different processes of growth, allowing that correct within. Yes, yeah, so forget the movie right now too. But they basically showed the animals are moving. Like the cows are in one field. They're eating the grass. Oh, all of that. Yeah. They're dropping the manure. The chickens are coming in next, and then they're they're doing the next field. But the three field system is two of the three fields are always being used. The one field is off for a season so that it can regenerate. Yeah. It makes total sense. If we want to be able to have great quality food, we need our soil to be healthy in the first place. And so I don't believe in mega dosing nutritional supplements. I really don't. I think you can feel phenomenal in the short term. So in certain cases, 12 to 16 weeks, okay. Mega dosing, no, but a higher dose, okay. And then I believe in just a small dose of certain vitamins and minerals in order to be able to safeguard against the nutritional deficiencies of food in general. And I'll be honest, most people just don't have a varied diet. And so like they're eating good foods. But I mean, when I ask people, like typically, like, let's be honest, how many different vegetables are you eating in a week? And even myself, like I eat broccoli basically every day, mm -hmm. I, but it's simple. Like it's my go-to, yeah. but I'm not eating like all the blues, oranges, purples, yellows. And so I'm, all I'm doing is getting a little bit every day of my micronutrients that I need. And then I try to eat the best diet I can. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about that. Like we're missing the seasonality of things. And I was thinking about that too, living in Los Angeles. So I was like, I eat well, but I'm really eating the same things in the same sort of macro and micronutrients all the time. I want to talk about glucose because I feel like this is sort of a conversation where people are way more interested in their blood sugar mm -hmm. and their blood sugar levels and understanding them. I think most people are interested in it because they have heard of a correlation between like your weight and fat mm -hmm. and blood sugar and your body composition. So I guess, is there truth to that or what is the relationship between blood sugar, your weight and your body composition? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one. Before I opened my functional medicine practice in, in Boston, I had a, essentially a nutrition personal training studio. And all we did was help people transform their bodies. Like that's literally all we did, hundreds of thousands of appointments. And the easiest way to do that is through metabolic conditioning workouts and a lower carb diet with a little bit extra protein so they don't become too catabolic and a slight caloric deficit. You don't even need a large caloric deficit. A lot of people say you do to a degree. I think most people's bodies are dramatically inflamed. And so a lot of this weight that we're holding is what we like to refer to as like toxic water weight. And people don't like that word toxic, but when you're inflamed, you're holding a tremendous amount of puffiness in your body. That's not body fat. That's water that never needs to come back. So we body fat and we've got this inflammation and we're working on that. So now kind of bringing it up to speed, what we do is we do a very specific functional medicine detox. And we also program called the Fatlocity Program. I don't love the name, but it is what it is. And it's low carb for 21 days because it works. Like we know low carb works. The problem is this. I would say for the vast majority of women, if you continue with a low carb diet, meaning just vegetables, we say unlimited amount of vegetables because we're going for two to three cups with every meal. And then we've got lean proteins, whatever you like, vegan, paleo, et cetera. And then we've got healthy fats, typically avocado, olive oil. You can have other types as well, some coconut oil, things like that. Okay. So pretty basic, like nothing revolutionary there. Okay. What works though, is that you cannot maintain that diet for most women. 
Because what we found is this. So then we're bordering more towards, again, like people could say that's a keto-based diet. It's not a keto diet. A keto diet cannot be high protein. So a lot of people are eating high protein diets, eating steaks and all that, saying they're on a keto diet. If you were to test for ketones, I'm guaranteeing you are not showing ketones unless you're only eating one meal a day where you're going on an extended fast. Because protein is made up of amino acids, which can be converted to glucose. Like if your body needs it, it will convert it to glucose. Like it has no problem doing that. And so what we're looking at is, okay, three weeks, reset the body's overall hormone, glucose levels, et cetera. But then we need to start to reintroduce carbohydrates. So we actually are typically going with a low glycemic berry in the morning, typically like wild blueberries as part of a smoothie or something like that. We're cutting cortisol, we're fixing thyroid levels. Because thyroid levels will plummet in women. This is what, again, this is what we've seen. We've run hundreds of thousands of labs. We've met with over a quarter million client appointments. We have a massive amount of data. And again, I have no dog in the race. I don't care what diet is best. But I'll tell you, women following a low-carb diet for more than four to six weeks typically causes their TSH to begin to rise above a three. That's a sign that you're moving into hypothyroidism. That's testosterone? Uh, Thyroid-stimulating hormone. Okay, okay. So in some women, with that stress, their testosterone will go up, progesterone will go down, they'll be estrogen dominant, and so now this is the beginning of PCOS. You might say, well, PCOS is also predicated uh, by these higher levels of glucose. Yeah, can be, but, but that starts with the stress as well. Wow. Mm. So what we do is we say yes to a low-carb diet to settle things out. But if you've already been on a low-carb diet for the last two years, the 21 days isn't going to do anything. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like if you're going and you just said, oh, I give up for the last few months. Okay, we're going to reset you with that. But then we have to be able to get your body adapted to be able to eat carbohydrates again. You have to mm-hmm. be able to eat carbohydrates. If not, you just eliminated an entire macronutrient group and you only have two others, protein and fat. And, and there's a lot of people that will try to convince you that you only need those two. It's not true for a well-working nervous system. And by the time you get to your 40s and 50s, it's not happening. Maybe in your 20s, in your 20s, you can get away with a lot. Yeah. Are you saying then, are you talking about carbohydrates because glucose is converted or carbohydrates are converted into glucose? That's right. Is that okay? So that's why people are most concerned about with that. Carbs, right. Because okay. you're really not going to get a protein. So it's actually not true. And that's why um, I don't think you need to do it forever. Mm-hmm. But using a continuous glucose monitor yeah. is really helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, in the beginning, though, if you're someone who has imbalanced blood sugar, you will react to all your carbohydrates. But if let's say you eat a meal and it is like just a whey protein shake. Okay. Well, a whey protein shake will certainly spike your blood sugar levels. No sugar in that. Why? Well, because the glycemic load of that and whey protein and empty stomach will spike blood sugar levels. Uh, A coffee, if it puts you into fight or flight, will spike your blood sugar levels because it will spike cortisol levels in some people, the caffeine. So not a decaf, but a caffeinated beverage will. And then you start the glucose-based response. And so again, our job is to be able to incorporate an intermittent fast, 12, 14, or 16 mm -hmm. hours, depending on the individual. But we also want to get in three meals per day. I know a lot of people are doing two now, but if we go back to those micronutrients, how do you get all the micronutrients you need in two meals a day? People are getting so, or trying to be so thin Mm -hmm. that they're catabolic. They're breaking down their hair, their skin, their nails. They're aging their bodies faster than they need to be because their bodies are always at a deficit. Mm -hmm. So I think we'd be careful too. Okay, in the short term, sure, you're thinner. But in the long term, you're really wearing your body out Mm because you're operating below your capacity of fuel. Mm. Yeah, I think that idea of especially people I think around our age are really eating and adjusting lifestyle and supplementing and all these things for now. Yeah. Which is, it makes sense. And we're also not thinking about 10, 20, 30 years from now and what it could be doing. And so 
I'm just wondering, what would you say to people our age? Maybe there's one or two things that they could do more or less of, eat more or less of in order to optimize that longevity and like youthfulness or vibrancy in later years? It always comes back to create an equilibrium or balance in your body. So that was the greatest thing I learned really through, through all of my studies for myself as well, is that you can pretty much do whatever you want if you balance it. So if you're an Olympic athlete, guaranteeing you're not sleeping eight hours a night, sleeping like 10, 11 hours a night because you're training five, six hours a day. Well, I can't train five or six hours a day work 10 hours a day, have a family and like it doesn't work. So whatever you're doing, your output has to match. So I always say this to people because we work with a lot of people with like post-viral syndrome or myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is basically flu-like symptoms all the time or Addison's disease mm-hmm. or adrenal burnout, whatever you want to refer to it as. And I always say to these people, because I was one of those people, I say, you have to look at everything you're doing for the next few months or so. Is this bringing in energy or am I giving out energy? Because you need to bank some energy. You need to bring it in. So if you are someone that's feeling worn out, depleted, irritable, overwhelmed, tired, low energy, low libido, low vitality, should you be doing high-intensity interval training, low-carb, low-calorie, work, 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 not a lot of sleep? That's a recipe for disaster. You can push through that for a while. Like You can just caffeinate your body and you know, take some neurotransmitter precursors and just go. And that's why it's dangerous because you can push through it, but the end result is going to be much worse than if you started to create that balance now. The good news is when you are healthy, so I'll just give an example. I am very fortunate that I got healthy before my first daughter was born 10 years ago because when you first have a baby, there's not a lot of sleep going on. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is if I wasn't in a healthy state, that would have pushed me into much deeper relapse Mm -hmm. of sickness and disease. The nice thing is for a certain period of time, like, in college, studying for your finals or in work, a project that needs to get done with a deadline. You can do that when you're healthy. Then you get your extra rest and you kind of go with it after that. But if you are someone dealing with a real disease, you need to take a period of time where you're bringing energy in. Mm. So all the negative relationships and the negative stress, you need to distance yourself. And I did that actually when I was stressed. I distanced myself from the family, friends, coworkers, or whatever that I felt were not a positive influence in my life kind of drew within a little bit for a period of time, hung out with the people that I felt were like nurturing and, uh, and that I could be relaxed, that it was just me. And, and that was actually a big part of what I would say my treatment was actually wow. uh, finding that balance because I'm a go, go, go person by nature. So I feel myself getting there all the time and I'm like, all right, we just need to mm-hmm. bring it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, powerful. How would people be able to tell the difference between toxic water weight, like any water weight from inflammation and body fat? Edema is one of the, easiest ways to look at it. So if we think about it, let's say we stop consuming water at seven or eight o'clock at night. And so you might wake up at six, seven, eight in the morning. If you were to weigh yourself, and I know not everybody's into weighing themselves, which is totally fine. You might be five, six pounds lighter in the morning. Mm -hmm. And you could say, well, that's dehydration. True. But during the course of the day, getting 1% you know, of your body weight or so, maybe 2%. That, that's not abnormal because you are slightly dehydrated overnight. You're losing like a liter of water just through perspiration overnight. Um, but some people gain a tremendous amount of weight just over the course of that day. And that can be from food sensitivities, environmental sensitivities. It can be from, like I said before, thyroid function. Um, but then there's just general edema. So we'll have someone do like our 21-day functional medicine detox. They could lose 10 to 21 pounds in that period of time. Is that all fat? Absolutely not. No. 
they're losing massive amounts of inflammation. With inflammation comes water. So that's why when people go on a low-carb diet as well, they'll often lose the water weight because there can be some water retention with carbohydrates. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It actually gives, I know people don't like to use the word, but tone to your body and and muscles because your muscles are 72% water. But it's important to look at that. Now, if you were to depress like your, let's say you just wore socks and you see lines after you take the socks off, that can be a lymphatic issue. That can actually be edema or, or excess water weight that you should not be holding. Mm. Sign of a poor lymphatic system, potentially. Wow. Mm. So rebounding, sauna, those types of things are really great for that. Edema. Yeah, for edema. Okay. For edema is basically holding on to water weight. Edema, exactly. is holding on to water weight. Mostly we see it in the face or we see it in the ankles. So is inflammation manifest as mostly water retention or can it manifest in other ways? Yeah, that's that's the uniqueness of the individual. Okay. So inflammation is often looked at as the root cause of disease. But inflammation is simply the level right before disease. Mm. So if you look at Ayurvedic medicine or bioregulatory medicine, there are six phases of disease. The last two, it's manifested. But before that, there were four phases that took place before that disease showed up in your blood work. And that's why blood work is not always the best metric for overall health. It is the best metric for diagnosing disease, but not the best metric for health. So what happens is there has to be a reason for the inflammation. So the inflammation has a root cause. So the root cause might be, again, food sensitivities, hormones, digestive issues, heavy metals, et cetera. And then those things cause the inflammation. And then the inflammation causes whatever we are predisposed to. So I will never have Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune thyroid issue. But when I was 17, I got rheumatoid arthritis. Okay, I'm a 17-year-old with an autoimmune issue. How is that possible? Well, all four of my grandparents and both of my parents had rheumatoid arthritis. So. They got it though when they were in their 40s and 50s. Why did I get it at 17? I just sped up those genetics faster, right? I filled up my rain barrel faster, it overflowed. And now all of a sudden I have, again, I had a host of things, but Addison's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, type 2 diabetes, et cetera. Okay, so I'm 17, dealing with autoimmune issues, Addison's disease, which is the inability to produce cortisol. So I was walking around like a zombie all day. Wow. Debilitating allergies, insomnia, all sorts of issues. But now, more than 25 years later, I don't have any of those things. So I have them at 17, but I don't have them now. So that's why I share with people, it's always in your genetics, but it is the expression of those genes through lifestyle, intended or not intended. I didn't intend to have an autoimmune issue at 17. I didn't, that was not very the game plan, right? I was just a normal 17-year-old playing sports, studying in school, had friends. That was it, just normal, normal for the most part. But I got it. And so then I had to relearn and then unlearn how to get rid of these things. So my manifestation is going to be different than yours. Mm-hmm. And you will have maybe some of those same things, but yours will come out whatever's predisposed in your genes, not mine. I would love to go over our results of the metals and minerals test. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. You so, got them? Yeah. I've got them right here. I don't know if you've We're looked nervous. at them already. This is vulnerable. <laughs> this is a vulnerable moment. Baby. Yes. yes. I, I think it's great that you're doing that. I really do. And the reason is that this is the very first lab I started with on my way to getting well. And so for Mm. me, it's always my favorite to go through first because I was super skeptical and I'm like, what is this test going to show me? And I met with a practitioner and they started to break it down. Hopefully I'll be able to do some of that here today. And it gives you some insight into what's going on inside of your body. So this minerals and metals test is also the easiest lab to run. So that's why I love people to start with it because three years old through a hundred years old, you could run this. You're just taking a couple snips of hair. And you're just using within an inch and a half of the length of your hair in the back. And that's it. 
And so what we're going to look at is your electrolyte levels, which are going to show stress, your mineral levels in your body, so the micronutrients we spoke about. And then we're going to look at heavy metals. And I always tell people if anything's off, meaning it's too high above the blue zone or too low, well, you can fix that, right? Because we're looking at a 90-day snapshot. And we know that with the right amount of work over the next 90 to 120 days, we can retest afterwards and we can actually look at how it was affected. And so, yeah, this is a, a really it, nice lab. I got it from snip snip on the bottom of my hair. Does it matter what, what part so of my hair? It, it does. And we'll, oh. we'll go for that. So it's funny because um, this, this does happen sometimes where people use the whole strand and they cut it up into pieces. So the, your hair grows at about a half an inch a month. And so if you want Dang. what happened within the last 90 days, well, you snip within an inch. So basically, you oh. cut into the root, tiny amount. You go underneath the back of the hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then that's what you look at. Oh, oops. Oops. That's all right. <laughs> Mine's going to be like three months from… <laughs> Mine was Mine's the like six months back. Yeah, yeah. Mine so was that's the what bottom. We're looking at. But that's okay. So that's what we're looking at now. And, and I've done this actually many, many times and, and on shows like this. And so you can just kind of look back at the 90 mm-hmm. days before that. That's what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at that much hair sample. This is used now for autism, links to heavy metals, mm-hmm. ADHD. It's used with FBI-based drug testing. Like, so they use hair tissue testing for quite a bit. So I'm going to hand out your labs and we'll go through them. I like hair over blood. I'm sick of blood. I know. Doing all the blood stuff. <laughs> I'm just like… So one of the reasons we, we do this is just the simplicity. So when I had my practice in Boston, we're completely virtual practice now. We ship labs to 27 countries around the world, wow. which we could never do as a Boston-based practice. We would do blood draws. And the… Actual people who follow through on blood draws is very, very low. Yeah, dude. Nobody wants their blood draw. Yeah. And so blood draws, you should still do at least once a year for just make sure that there's no disease diagnosis. But in the meantime, you can test your hormones with saliva. You can test your gut-based health and vitamin levels with urine. You can test your parasites and bacterial overgrowth with a stool test. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. other samples that you can do at home. Plus, the nice thing is about these, this is not shared with any electronic medical record system. That's nice. So these are completely private between the lab, myself, mm-hmm. like our company, and yourself as well. So there's your results. Cool. Here we go. Yours. My test results. <laughs> A plus. Wow, this is powerful. I was so, like, I'm guessing. F. I was like, did I get an F on so this? So since they're both <laughs> perfect, there's really nothing for us to chat about. I think this one is going to be, is this metals? I think minerals. I think there's going to be a copper thing because I had my copper IUD. So I'm going to have like a high copper. Oh, that's interesting. So uh, I should also state too, typically how this works is we would do a consultation. We would run your lab and then I would uh, then give you a protocol based on that. We've never done a consultation together. So Uh I know really nothing about both of your health and that's totally fine as well. So my job is just to read this lab and then you'll simply see if it makes any direct connections with you. Now, the nice thing is this can be correlated with other labs. When we have iron on this lab, the only time Iron is necessary to look at on a hair tissue mineral analysis is if it's very high. Mm. And at that point, you can have what's called hemochromatosis. And then we let people know, okay, you're going to go to your PCP, confirm this with a TIBC and ferritin draw. And if it is high, we need to lower that because that's dangerous. Mm. So all the rest, we're looking at uh, non-diagnostic and are, are very, very applicable. Now, um, for anybody obviously not watching this video, the first four are your calcium. It's going to be your magnesium. It's going to be your sodium and it's going to be your potassium. When people see elevated levels for these, they're like, oh, I'm taking in too much calcium. It's not that. When your body gets stressed, we've been talking a lot about stress here today, something called hypercalcemia can happen. So your body in a state of stress actually breaks down calcium from either diet, muscle, or bone. 
And so you see an elevated level of calcium in your bloodstream. That's not good. Not good for the arteries. Does show higher level of stress. Now, the nice thing is if your magnesium is also elevated, what it does is it's showing that's the parasympathetic nervous system. So sympathetic calcium, parasympathetic mm. magnesium. That's why people say, oh, why do you take magnesium? Well, for sleep, for anxiety, for sense of calm, right? Like that's mm -hmm. why we do it. Okay, well, what is that inducing? It's inducing the parasympathetic, the rest and relax, or the fight or flight. It stops that fight or flight. And then we look at sodium, potassium. Those are essentially markers of catabolism uh, or breakdown in the cells and tissues, energy used with the adrenals as well. And then we'll get into the minerals. Okay, so who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right. Brave. So, yeah. Chris, we're going to look at your lab. Calcium, so. magnesium off the chart. Same, baby. Yep. <laughs> now, the interesting thing yes. was, again, we've read hundreds of thousands. We do, so just for this lab alone, is probably two to 3,000 of the minerals and metals tests we see from around the world. So we've got a very, very large sample size. Wow. And the interesting thing is, again, I'll, I'll, so I'll see a couple of hundred of these uh, a week that I'm specifically looking at. Yours are very similar. Both of your Obviously. labs, very, very similar. So <laughs> we'll see why that might be. Now, there are some differences, of course, but when we look at that, so the, a healthy level of calcium on this minerals and metals test between a 32 and a 64, anywhere in that blue wave is fine. Now, I've seen higher, <laughs> Krista, but your level's a 596. That's impressive. That's, so that's a 596, you guys, it's level. supposed to be like 40. Wait, wait, yes. wait. It was 596 for calcium. Okay. That's right. Okay. 398. So it was very what high. Very high. But yours is exceptionally high. So we'll we'll look at that in the greater context. I think it's from water. What do you mean? Typically, it's... it's <laughs> Listen it's to the doctor, baby. You're not the doctor. It, it's a, it's a stress-induced marker. Wow. Higher level of stress. Now, we can look at why that might be. Now, there are other reasons. High doses of vitamin D. So above 10,000 IUs. Typically, the studies were done on 50,000 250,000, 300,000, they drew calcium from the actual bloodstream and from the bones and pulled it in the bloodstream. So unless that was happening, um, there's that. Now, the good news is your magnesium is also off the chart. So that's high. Now, but if we look at the two values, it's a 6.67 to 1 ratio. So let's just use 7 to 1 for easier math. So you're only about 50% of what your calcium is. So when we look at this, we say, okay, we still need more magnesium in your diet and through supplementation in order to bring those calcium levels down. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so for you, instead of just doing it in the evening when I typically would, we might do a little bit in the morning unless mm -hmm. it makes you sleepy and then we won't. But we'll do it at lunchtime and we'll also do it in the evening as well. Okay. Yeah. I have so much supplemented magnesium. So I'm... Yeah, I'm surprised I would need more. I guess, where am I getting all that calcium or is it being created in my body? So the, typically the calcium is already in the body and it's being drawn into the bloodstream. So we'll take a step back. So what we're looking at right now is excreted mineral levels in your hair. So your hair is simply catching these things in the hair. That's okay. how it's looked at. That's why it's so good for drug testing. That's right. why it's good at looking at prenatal-based issues or autism or ADHD because of the correlation with heavy metals. Wow, okay. Yeah. So, so there's um, nothing diet-wise I can do about the calcium is my question. Um, you can... Don't, don't worry about getting calcium-based foods. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. What we want to look at is higher magnesium-based foods okay. and then calming things for your nervous system as well. <laughs> and, and then just make sure you're getting the right type of magnesium. So, Oh, yeah. Um, that's a question I have because there's yeah. so many different types of magnesium. There are. Yes. Yes. So magnesium glycinate, a magnesium lysinate, a magnesium um, citrate, all of those are calming. There's a lot of people using magnesium 3 and 8 right now. Not bad. It wouldn't be the only one I use, okay. um, but those are good forms. And okay. then when people say they're taking a lot, we're talking 
for you, again, I can't give you the specific amount. I would look at other markers as well. But you're probably going to be in the range of 330 to 600 something milligrams per day. So not an insignificant amount. And not all at once, of course. And then just be careful with taking magnesium oxide, which is more of a laxative. That's not going to be absorbed as well. Mm -hmm. So never that. When we're looking at your sodium and potassium levels, they're pretty good. I mean, they really are. So when we look at this, we wanted a 2.5 to 1 ratio. So the good news is, is that um, there was a stressor. It wasn't just acute because this is a long term. Again, we're looking at uh, quite a while, three months at least if you're using an inch and a half of that sample size. And so just keep that in mind. Every half inch of hair is about a month's sample. And so those levels look good overall. Now, like I said, even though your iron levels are within range, we don't look at that in the hair. This is simply excretion-based. You want to look at blood for iron. Now, your copper levels are elevated. This is something that we immediately begin to look at. Why? Because copper is really important because it can lead to things like allergies, skin rashes, anxiety, lower mood, attention deficit-based disorder, if those zinc levels are not high enough. So we've seen this quite a bit. And it's because Mm -hmm. um, there was obviously a period where people are getting more and more sick or different illnesses or whatever it might be. And their zinc levels got depleted. So the more your immune system needs zinc, because it does, your immune system is basically running off of things like glutamine, B vitamin, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D. The way that you push that down and bring it into balance is actually to bring your zinc levels up Mm -hmm. for a period of time. Now, for everyday use, you don't typically ever use more than 50 milligrams of zinc. Acute-based instances, 75 to 100 milligrams for two, three weeks, sure. So what we'd be typically recommending, you're going to be using somewhere around 30 to 50 milligrams, probably closer to 30 to 40 Mm -hmm. of zinc for about 12 weeks or so to push those copper levels back down. Then it's looking for sources of copper, though, that may be causing the higher levels of copper. Exactly. I think my paragard IUD could have been. Absolutely. Copper, yeah. 100%. So we've, we've certainly seen that before. And uh, that's one of the things I would, I would look out for as well. Yeah. Copper IUD. It's no longer in, but I feel like it's still affecting. And it does take a while to, to remove these metals yeah. from the body. Unless you're doing something specifically for them, which we can talk about recommendation-wise, these metals will stay in your body. Yeah, for sure. The higher level of manganese, this is not uncommon at all. We see this quite a bit. Uh, probably not for yourself, but people who are drinking well water, manganese levels are often <laughs> high there. So that's probably not that in the city. Going uh, out to the well. <laughs> uh, stress, uh, kind of correlating back to that. The adrenals, when we see higher levels of manganese, sometimes it's lower levels of B vitamins, depleted levels of B vitamins, not keeping up with stress. I mean, that, that's a really big part mm. of it as well. When we see higher levels of manganese, it can be drops in blood sugar. So kind of extending a fast too long or a fast wild stress, looking at that too. And then low protein synthesis. And I actually wanted to talk with both of you about that. So I'm going to jump to the last marker, which is phosphorus. Lindsay, we'll go over yours separately, but Mm -hmm. your phosphorus levels were low. And that's important to really look at because if you have high levels of calcium, you have higher levels of manganese, we've got lower levels of zinc, and we've got lower levels of phosphorus, your anabolic minerals are a little on the low side. Anabolic means building the body up. Catabolic means breaking the body down. So we see more of a catabolic process here. And it's either not getting enough protein in to build back up the tissue or too much output in terms of fasting, exercise, breaking down the tissue. And so what we look at is we look at phosphorus for muscle, we look at for bone, and then overall utilization of vitamin D as well. So Mm -hmm. that's an important marker is just to make sure. I'm not a, don't go over the top with your protein, but certainly a minimum of half your body weight in actual protein per day. So like, let's just say 
we have someone in that they're uh, 120 pounds. Okay. So we want a minimum of 60 grams of protein per day. That's the minimum. Um, again, I'm not a necessarily one for one. Sure. If we're working with a specific bodybuilder, et cetera, but most people don't need that level of protein, especially with longevity in mind. But when I talk with a lot of women in my practice, I say, okay, you eating breakfast? Like, ah, no, not really. Okay. So what are you having at lunch? I'm having a, a uh, salad with some chickpeas or some hummus and, and whatever. Okay. Oh, good. You're getting vegetables, all these different things in there, but you're maybe getting like 10 grams of protein. Okay, and then what are you having at dinner? Oh, I'm having a piece of fish or, okay. So you're getting like 30 grams of protein, 35 grams of protein. We're at like 45, 50 for the day. Like we're under the amount of protein we mm. need for active individuals. Did you know that the drugs we take to manage period cramps were invented in the 1950s and exclusively tested on men? <laughs> what? It's literally outrageous that there hasn't been more innovation when it comes to periods. Deloon is changing that with dietitian formulated solutions that relieve our symptoms while actually supporting cycle health. Because our cycles affect every aspect of our wellness, period pain, mood, sleep, skin, metabolism, energy, and more. I, I don't know about you, but you know, some some months I'm like, oh my gosh, like everything has to stop, but it really can't <laughs> because I'm experiencing you know, really bad cramps or headaches, fatigue, you, bloating, you name it. I've really tried a lot of things. And while I think I've gotten most of my symptoms under control, it doesn't mean they still don't happen and kind of disrupt my flow. So I was really excited to find Deloon and recommend it to a lot of my friends. And they have been absolutely loving it. I was talking to a friend the other day that experienced like really, really bad periods, cramps, and just all these symptoms. And she was so happy uh, to try Deloon. She's noticed that her symptoms have subsided. They don't last as long. They're not as intense. And she can really just be in her life, which is really nice. So Deloon Nutritional Solutions are dietitian formulated to work with your cycle health, not against it. It'll help you all month long while also relieving your cramps and PMS during your period. Deloon creates effective drug-free supplements for period cramps, PMS, and optimal cycle health. So you can get the relief you need naturally, which I'm all about, and start feeling like your best self. So if you want high-potency, fast-acting supplements for your period cramps, PMS, and really getting your cycle health in its prime top condition, like 92% of their customers report that relief, try Deloon. Leave bad periods behind and start the new year off with 23% off. Go to cyclehealth.com slash almost 30 and use the code almost 30 to get 23% off plus free shipping. If Deloon isn't the right match for you, your money back is guaranteed. That's cyclehealth.com slash almost 30 and use the code almost 30 to get 23% off plus free shipping. The more active you are, the more you're using those muscles, the more potential catabolism there. So really important marker to look at. I love this uh, lab for that. And then uh, again, interrupt me, uh, feel free. You know, as we're going along, your chromium and selenium are a little bit low. Your chromium though, is what we see totally normal. This goes back to soil degradation. Mm -hmm. You can't get enough chromium in food anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm just convinced mm -hmm. of that. We use a software that looks at the 
macros and micros of foods. And when we look at it for each individual, even on a diet that's great, they're still missing one or two things. They're missing zinc. They're missing calcium a lot of times. Like in my diet, I eat a you know, a pretty diverse diet. I try, but I'm still low most days on one mm-hmm. or two different things. Wow. And it's because you have to be so critical to get those things in. So that's why I say a minimal, a little bit of supplementation, you'll be able to get there. But chromium is what's used for blood sugar. It's a big one. And so if you have erratic blood sugar, or it's not as good as you'd like it to be, chromium's a big one there. And then selenium. And that's why I love running this test. And I love, you know, for the next one I'm going to recommend for you would be the stress mood and metabolism test. It'd be a great one to look at your cortisol levels, estrogen levels, progesterone. It'd be great to look at your vitamin D levels uh, in your thyroid because your selenium is a little on the low side. Selenium is used for that thyroid. It's used as a very powerful antioxidant. So I'd want to, I want to take a look at that just to make sure it's optimized Mm -hmm. because for women, especially again, women and men, but your TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, which is typically the only thing your PCP runs, should be between a 0.5 and a two. Mm-hmm. So if you're a two seven, you're considered totally normal. But now you're trending out of range. Your thyroid's not optimal. So again, a lot of times we tell men and women like to lose weight, to do this, to do that. It's just calories in, calories out. Well, it's it's optimizing hormones. It's optimizing blood sugar. It's optimizing for energy, right? Mm-hmm. So your thyroid helps with energy. What if you have cold hands and feet? You want to look at your thyroid. What if you have thinning hair, thinning eyebrow? Yeah. You want to look at your thyroid uh, yeah. so eyebrows. So you want to look at that. It's all very very important. All right. So then we move down to your heavy metals and we see lead, none. Okay. That's, that's the most important one. Good. Mercury. We've got one little tick. It should be zero, but mm-hmm. not that bad. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Cadmium, zero, which is great. Again, that's good for the thyroid. Arsenic, very, very, uh, well, zero, which is good. It's what it should be. Um, and again, it means, uh, can't really find it, 0.002. So it's almost non-existent. And then we've got aluminum though, almost a three. So uh, 1.25. So 1.25 is what we typically see because aluminum is so pervasive in the environment, you definitely have higher levels. Yeah. So we'll, we'll chat about aluminum for a minute because this is the most pervasive heavy metal that we see mm. on all of these heavy mm-hmm. metal labs. Probably because of deodorant. That's a big one. So antiperspirants. Yeah. So I don't use aluminum. I don't use deodorant. <laughs> so <we've> got, <laughs> that's whatever, whatever, dude. <laughs> uh, aluminum pans is a big one. Wow. Aluminum foil is another. Water filters that have an aluminum filter is another big one too, or just tap water. Berkey? Nope. The Berkey is going to be fine for aluminum. Okay. Yep. The Berkey's working good. (laughs) What about cans of soda or like what about sparkling water in aluminum? Yes, absolutely. Whoa. And that could be your nickel as well. Because I was going to ask you, why is your nickel elevated? I don't know, man. (laughs) We don't typically see elevated nickel. It's an interesting interesting. one. But for the nickel, um, there are some random ones that it could be. So if you drink rooibos tea, are high levels of nickel. Hmm. Um, oysters can be high levels of nickel. We also see it with peanut butter, commercial peanut butter. I love peanut butter. Really? <laughs> yeah. Right, so sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes we see that from there. We can see it from hair dye. So you can, nickel is often in, in hair dyes as okay. well. It's in some cosmetics. They all often put metals in cosmetics because it gets it to stick. It gets it to keep that consistent yeah. color. And that's on there as well. Smoking, detergents, Aluminum foil again, nickel-backed jewelry, amalgam fillings, not typically from food. So I just wanted to let mm-hmm. you know that like mushroom extracts have been found to have some nickel contamination in them, but that's about it because mushrooms uh, are actually… They're for they're a, a lot yeah, of they're mushrooms. Filter. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. A lot of mushrooms. So, but that, that's one to look at and because yes. certainly we want to bring the nickel down. It's yeah. an odd one to have elevated. <laughs> 
So <laughs> you just want to bring that down. I'm, and a, all the I'm, rest a, unique, I'm a unique gal. <laughs> you are unique. See, Lindsay's baby. All right. So overall, Krista, though, your lab was good. What are we working on? We're working on the elevated levels of the stress. We're working on the elevated levels of copper. And everything has a antagonist on these mm. labs. So what pushes down calcium? Magnesium. What pushes down sodium? Potassium. Okay. What pushes down copper? Zinc. So we always know what the levers are and how to pull them. That's cool. And then for heavy metals, we don't want any heavy metals in the body. So we're going to be using things like a heavy metal detox-based protocol. Very mm-hmm. simple. It's vitamin C, crack cell chlorella, cilantro, biofilm disruptor. <laughs> then infrared sauna is also great. Oh, we so have, if you one have at access home. to an infrared sauna. It's fantastic. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. I have it at home. All right. Because you'll sweat it out. And, and that's right. So the way, and again, everything's been studied. So when you look at the sweat of someone after during infrared sauna, you can actually see the elevated levels of mercury and you can see the, the aluminum coming out through the body. So it's pretty fantastic. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's a great way to do it. Wild. And there's really not a limit on that. You could do an infrared sauna five days a week, wow. six days a week, and that, that's fine. Nice. All right. So let's pull up Lindsay's lab here. And mm-hmm. Lindsay, for yours, uh, what we are looking for is a more unique pattern. This is considered a four high. So a four high means all of your electrolytes are above the ideal mark. And it's just the potassium, which isn't as high as the others. Mm -hmm. This is typically a sign of higher chronic-based stress. So higher, um, which they call HPA access adrenal stress. This means that for a period of time, yours was now, we're we're going back six months to a year. Yeah. A period of time where you had very elevated levels of stress. You would only ever see a four high in terms of electrolytes during high level of stress. Yeah, that, I think that shakes out. It's hard to go back that time. That is why we like to use that, you know, the last 90 days or so because people are like, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, this is more current. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I would say, you know, we'll run this again. We'll do the last 90 days. We'll get you that pertinent view as to where you're at right yeah. now. I feel but, like I've changed so much about my <laughs> lifestyle and diet like mm-hmm. in the last probably three months. Yes. I would say, or like just fitness and, and diet, but continue. No, yes. it, it, it makes a big difference. Now, yep. although your levels were not as elevated, they were elevated. And yeah. so we have to look at that. So we want to look at lifestyle factors beyond just nutritional supplements as well. It's like, what are the things that are going to calm the nervous system that are going to then allow your levels to come back to more normal? Yeah. So I always like to tell people there's no one specific thing. Sure, it could be meditation, but it could be walking. It could be singing. It could be whatever's relaxing for you. That's what we want to look at. And then also good quality sleep, being able to turn the mind off at night. Mm-hmm. such a big part of it. So making sure that if you're tracking your sleep biometrics, you're getting 90 minutes of deep sleep and about two hours or more of REM. Yeah. Really important for the body and the mind. Mm-hmm. And then if we look at your iron, it's going to be low on the HTMA, the minerals and metals test, but it's not what we look at necessarily as a factor. Okay. And then we want to look at your copper levels. Now, your copper levels were quite elevated. Mm-hmm. And so for me, again, I'm always asking why the elevated level of copper in uh, the body? Uh-huh. What, where's the contamination coming from? Could be from water, could be from cosmetics, could be from multiple other factors that we can uh-huh. kind of dive a little bit into. But oftentimes, it is the lower levels of zinc that's allowing for these higher levels of copper. Got it. And I think zinc is going to be one of those minerals that a lot of people are going to want to get a little bit more of in their diet, whether it's through certain nuts or different things, that meats that have higher levels of zinc, or whether it's through supplementation as well. Okay. And I recommend both. Okay, both great. are great. Same, same thing with the manganese too. Is this water contamination? Is this stress? What specifically is causing someone's elevated level of manganese? We always take 
typically a deeper dive on that. Some of the biggest things we've seen though, just to let you know, because we see it now more and more, are drops in blood sugar. So mm-hmm. just making sure that you're getting enough protein again at each meal, mm-hmm. enough fiber each meal, that if you're dropping low in blood sugar in the morning because of an intermittent fast, is that something you want to continue with or do you want to break that fast and have yeah. breakfast? Yeah, I, I was, I typically do fast until probably like 10 or 11. I'm like, hmm, this felt good for a period of time. And it also feels good on certain weeks of my period or of my cycle where during my period, I definitely do not want to be fasting. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like intuitively was doing it, but then I've just had that thought lately of we need to like really nourish ourselves first thing. Absolutely. And when we look at it overall, if we can look at our total macros or calories, et cetera, for the day, we can start to break those up over the course of the day. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. always have to be one meal a day or those types of things. But And the last part is protein synthesis. It's just making sure because that higher level of manganese, I go back to, again, the low level of phosphorus. I don't like to see that with women because I know that the amount of bone that they created by the time of basically 27 years old or so, that's the bone they get to keep for life. Okay. And so I want to make sure that your muscles stay on for metabolism, your bone stays on for osteoporosis and other factors. And when we talk about longevity, yeah, I want to help you live to 100 plus, but I also want you to have a good quality of life. Yeah. And not those hip fractures that so many women have, you know, later and later in life. So we want to look at that, um, really make sure that we are getting that adequate level of protein on a daily basis. It's going to keep you satiated. It's going to bring your zinc levels up and that's big to look at. Your chromium and your selenium levels, again, they're on the lower side, but normal if you're not supplementing with any. Because you're just not not getting that from food. Should I supplement with them? Typically, we just recommend something like the daily nutritional support or the daily activated multivitamin. Great. The reason is that you're not getting a mega dose, but you're getting the 100% of the RDA that you should get. Okay. So it's like that minimum amount, and then you get the rest through food, and anything that your body doesn't need, you're just going to remove. Okay. That's the nice thing. You'll just get rid of. Yeah, I was wondering about that with any over-supplementation, like obviously to a point, but does the body know to get rid of it or? Megadoses can be very stressful on the body. Okay. So we don't want to do that. However, almost basically all of your vitamins are going to be water-soluble except for vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, and vitamin K. Okay. So those four you don't want to overdo. So vitamin D on a daily basis, if you're not getting it from the sun, yes. Two to 4,000 IUs for most adults. Uh-huh. Vitamin A, just through your multi, is typically 5,000 IUs from beta carotene, which is the natural, normal form. Vitamin E, don't need a big dosage, 100, 200 IUs. Okay. And um, then from vitamin K, we like it from vitamin K2. Okay. So you will never see K2 as part of like your nutrition one, but you'll see it as like your after, and that's important as well. Okay. So really, really crucial. Uh, as well. And then we want to look at now your toxic metals. So no lead, no ca- no cadmium, no arsenic. Fantastic. We do sometimes see those. Um, so good that you didn't have any. Your mercury was slightly elevated. Now, yeah. the vast majority of people who have high levels of mercury is almost always from fish. Yeah. I eat wild salmon. So I don't okay. eat any. That's a low mercury fish. Yeah. What else would I eat? That's kind of all I haven't really done, but this is also six, you know, this is six to months to a year ago based on the sample that I, yes. I gave. So it could be from mercury amalgams. It, it okay. could be from environmental exposure. Okay. It could be from yeah, fish, fish is the, the vast majority. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I have any. No. So mercury can stay in the body for a long time though. Yeah. So just, just keep that in mind. So Got it. when we have someone do a heavy metal detox, if you run an HDMA like three months later, you might actually see very elevated levels. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. That means it's being excreted. 
Got so it. So we have to get to the point though where this is a zero, right? Got so it. important to look at that. And then your aluminum is typically what we see, just over that one. And that is because if you're going out and you're just having, let's say, I don't know, tea, okay, there can be aluminum in that. In ice cubes, there's there's aluminum in tap water. There's aluminum with pans. So the best pans to use are more like a stainless steel or yeah. a cast iron if your iron's not too high or glass or there's other modalities that you can use in terms of cooking utensils than the aluminum foil and all these things. You have to be careful. It's the scraping of those pans yeah. and the aluminum foil, which is allowing the aluminum to seep in, the aluminum cans. Even aluminum water filters, which a lot of people are using with like a, what's, what's it called? It begins with a C. It's a very popular one. Oh. I forget what it is. Yeah, it's I'm the most kidding. popular water pitcher. It has an aluminum mesh filter, so you have to be careful of that. Oh. It actually adds more aluminum okay. back to the water. Now, it removes some of the other harmful chemicals, but it actually adds more aluminum. Wow. So we'd be, we have to be careful with that. We want to use a good quality water filter. Do you uh, have one sure. that you recommend that you can say? Yeah. So I recommend the Berkey water uh-huh. filter. It's the easiest to use. I run my own independent labs on these. It removed all harmful chemicals when I ran the labs on it, but it didn't get all the fluoride. Got it. But I know they're working on that. So they have fluoride filters, but they're not available. They haven't been available for the last year. I believe they're working on a better fluoride filter. Fluoride is the hardest to remove from the water. So that's good. And then buying spring water as well. I know. Again, because like if you buy spring water in glass bottles, especially like here in the US, not in plastic, it's the best yep. that you can do. Again, local spring, great, but do you know that there's no bacteria in it? Do you know? It's just, it's something to think about. That's all. Sure. And then one thing I just wanted to mention is that for anybody with elevated levels of heavy metals, we're doing our heavy metal detox right away. Or if the body doesn't feel strong enough, we are getting the body strong enough. So we're doing four weeks of maybe the daily nutritional support, maybe some omegas, maybe a little bit of the immune protocol with vitamin C and zinc and vitamin D. Of course, good whole food, Mm -hmm. maybe infrared sauna, maybe get their sleep protocol. And then we're doing the heavy metal detox after that. But we are not doing the heavy metal detox with young children, unless they're being supervised by a health practitioner. We're not doing it with pregnant women. And we're not doing it with anybody with extremely elevated levels of lead. We're going to use a specific chelator with that. And so, but you very rarely ever see that. Okay. So those are the recommendations for when you see toxic heavy metals. And the last thing we just didn't mention too much is the little mark in the bottom of the page that says slow oxidizer. Slow oxidizer is very common with adults. And this just means that the body, since it's in more of a stress-based state based on this lab, our digestion isn't as robust as it could be because mm. more of the blood is not necessarily near the stomach itself. Got it. Okay. What is causing the blood not to be near the stomach? Is that is that the... Heavy metals? So anytime you're pushed more towards the sympathetic nervous system, it is not allowing your body the rest, relax, digest, and rejuvenate. Okay. So our job as adults, busy people in these Western-based mindsets is to always bring the body back to homeostasis, to a part of relaxation and rejuvenation. So it's basically, okay, we can be go, go, go from seven to seven, seven yeah. morning, seven at night, but we have to turn it off at some point. We have to be able to get some downtime, put away our phones and begin to rebuild and rejuvenate the body. Because if we're talking about people being in their 20s, 30s and 40s, okay, not as bad, but the body will start to, as they say, go downhill. If it doesn't have the nutrients, 
the time or the attention mm. to be able to rebuild in the same way. It mm-hmm. just gets harder. It's not that we can't do it. It's just harder as we start to age. Sure. So it's important that we look at it now so that your body stays strong and vital and, and robust. So good. Yeah, this is this is very eye-opening. And I'm thinking of things that, one, I love the fact that there's always that counterpart of like, okay, upping the zinc, upping the potassium in order to balance the other out. But I'm thinking about these kind of sneaky things, whether it's different ways that I could be ingesting or getting aluminum into my system. And I thought I was going to be overwhelmed, but this is actually empowering me in a way because it feels... Yeah, it feels like they're, to your point, you said your protocols are generally, you can see a difference in 90 days. Is that true? Our protocols are typically never longer than 12 weeks, but right. it'll probably be two consecutive. So yeah. from this particular lab, we would also run what's called the stress mood and metabolism lab. Mm-hmm. And we would run all your hormones, your cortisol, yeah. your vitamin D, your thyroid. And then for me, I would also though run something called the candida metabolic and vitamins test. So that will look at your vitamin levels because you might be deficient in B vitamins. If you're deficient in B vitamins, all of these numbers are going to look like this because you are not able to manufacture the anti-stress response. B vitamins are the anti-stress vitamin. Mm. So if you don't have enough of those, and it's not just, again, not just folate, which is B9 and B12 methylcobalamin. And of course, you want the methylated form of them. But you might not have B1, which is so important for the thyroid, or B6, okay. which is important for the nervous system. And again, not mega dosages. And there's a good amount in the daily nutritional support, the daily activated multi, but you might need just a little extra. Okay. And so that's going to help with that. And then it's also going to look at gut function. If there's a lot of inflammation in the gut, then there won't be absorption of all these nutrients. Mm-hmm. Let's say right now you're getting in a lot of these minerals right now, and you're like, this doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Well, if your body is not just what you eat, it's what you absorb. Yes. And so we need to make sure the absorption is there. So something like a daily digestive enzyme with meals to be able to help you break it down, great thing. But it could be, again, that there is some candida overgrowth, a bacterial mm-hmm. overgrowth. And so we'd want to look at those things. And again, these aren't scary things at all. This is just another metric. So I always tell people, this is a great first lab to start with. And I think that you, when you start to explore your health and you do find it empowering, you're going to want to learn more. Yeah. And it's not a race. There's nowhere to finish too. I know. Right? So it's like, once you're good, like I'm good. I have more energy now than I did 25 years ago. So why do I feel better now? Well, because there's always more to explore. Yes. And you can always upgrade your health yes. even just a little bit more. And you get to know yourself through these processes and protocols. Sure. And you find out what works for your own bioindividuality. So that's, that's my biggest thing is that there is no one-for-all approach. But if you start to see what your body needs, then you're also going to start to look at yourself as more of an individual mm-hmm. and not someone that has to be like anybody else. Yes. You know, you're just optimizing you. That's yeah. it. In both body and mind. Yeah. Okay. So how can people, because I know people are like, okay, I want my tests. How can people start to test and what would you recommend? Or is there a way in which they can find out which tests are for them? So we are a global functional medicine practice, so integrative health practice. We work people around the world and we do that through video-based chat. It's a HIPAA compliant software there. But if you don't know which lab is best for you, you can actually do a 20-minute lab consultation to Mm -hmm. say, hey, these are my symptoms. What lab is best for me? Right. You can find that at stephencabral.com forward slash almost 30. But I know for your community, we're going to share this lab as well. Just something for your community that we don't typically do. Yes. And again, if you don't know where to start, this is the easiest, least expensive, and most approachable lab to start with. And it's going to give you an insight into 
what's going on in your body. So my only recommendation, though, is to take that sample right, right close to the <laughs> Not <room>. what I did. <laughs> but, but you are not the only one. This happens literally all the time. We're like, oh, we're getting a haircut. Let's do we'll it. Let's just do a little bit off the ends. <laughs> but what it's going to do, though, is it will show you that last 90 days. Right. And so we have a place to start. We can help with not just nutritional supplements, but actually with what I call the de-stress protocol. Diet, exercise, stress yeah. reduction, toxin removal, stress reduction, mm. emotional-based balance, Yes, some nutritional supplements and that success mindset that if you look deeper into your health, you're going to be able to find the root cause answers as to why you're not where you should be in terms of your overall health, Mm. your body, and I would say just overall vitality for life. I mean, it's such a big part of it. Yes. Thank you so much. I always love talking to you and this is just super fascinating. And I feel like the science is always something that sticks with me. You know, when I hear it, I usually never forget it. And those are like the little tidbits that I kind of take with me on the health journey. So thank you so much. Y'all check the show notes as well as on our website for all information regarding Dr. Cabral and Equilife and the discounts. I'm excited for all of you to just learn more about your health. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks. Of course. Thank you, Dr. Cabral. That was incredibly informative. So thorough. If y'all are intrigued about the heavy metals and minerals tests that they offer at Equilife, we have a special offer for you, $99, um, which is opposed to the $199 original price. And you can go to stephencabral.com slash almost 30 to get that. Yep. Love it. Highly recommend. It's been so helpful for me. Any more information on Stephen Cabral is Stephen Cabral on Instagram. And you can find more information about Almost 30 at Almost 30 Podcast on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, and then almost30.com for all of our courses and programs. And we love you guys. We're really grateful that we can be here with you every single week. It means the world. See you on the next one. See you on the next one. Bye. 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 